Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today we're on the show, we're talking about, oh, rorted by renovations. <laughs> oh, we've got a great case study about the Prince of Property himself, Andrew Nicholl. Now, bad things can happen when <laughs> renovating. And Andrew is actually going through the process of renovating his own place, overcapitalising like nobody's ever seen <laughs> in the history of the world. Uh, I blame Lauren. You always do, mate, but you've got to take some responsibility. And there's an interesting case that I thought you should all hear about. Now, to help us out with this, because we're going to talk about some legal stuff, we have got esteemed lawyer from Wynn Williams and actually columnist in NZ Property Investor magazine, Shane Campbell. Shane, welcome along to the show. Hi, Ed, Andrew. Now, Andrew, walk us through, what's the story here? What work we have done on your house that we're going to actually talk about today? Okay, so I've done a huge amount of renovations, cosmetic renovations to our house, our home, and as Ed alluded to, absolutely overcapitalised. Lauren did say to me at some stage, you can't overcapitalise on your own home, which is terrible investment <laughs> advice. Um, <laughs> I think what she meant is she can't overcapitalise because she's not writing the checks. I'll get in trouble for that one. So anyway, the background. So we did a whole lot of work and we're happy with like 95% of it. Like there's been some great work done, but there's one particular piece which is very niggly. So situation is we'd had designed by an excellent project manager and designer mirrored splashbacks for behind the stove thingy, whatever you use that thing for, and behind our fireplaces. Now, during the course of the workmanship being done, the builder, our name is Shane because I'm a bit annoyed about this, LM Builders Limited, they went and changed the product that we were using from glass to a metal. It's got the same sort of appearance to mirror, but it's not quite as shiny. Anyway, I did bring this up after it had been installed and said, it doesn't look like mirror to me, or it looks it looks frosty. And he actually said to me, no, 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 it just needs a wipe down because they peeled off some cover to stop it scratching during the process, and it never did. But what it did do is when the fireplaces were used, this product buckled. So now behind the fireplaces, it's all buckled because of the heat. Now he was concerned that the mirror would crack and that was why he'd switched it out. Now I wasn't aware about this so it was relatively frustrated. So I go back, I'd received the last of my bills for this project and I went back and said, hey look, there's just an issue with this non-mirror product. It's buckled. Can we go about fixing that? At which stage he said, no, that's been changed out because the glass wasn't going to work. It was going to fail. It's tough luck. Now I thought, well, this is bit frustrating but at least I've got some cash I, I've still got $15,000 roughly worth of invoices to pay I just won't pay it until he fixes it and then I contact my friend Shane who works through the process and then says to me last week sorry you have to pay that and so I thought we'd do a case study on this because it was something that I hadn't considered. So wait wait a second they forced you to pay what's the legal basis for forcing someone to pay in this situation? Alright so what I'll do is I'll talk about this from a really general perspective rather than focusing on the particular claim because what this is really talking about is something unique to construction law or claims that are made under the Construction Contracts Act. So what we're dealing with in this situation is a party that makes a payment claim under the Construction Contracts Act 2002, it's a particular piece of legislation and what it's really directed at is ensuring that there's cash flow in the building industry and the couple of insolvencies in Wellington over the last week or so have really emphasised the problems where there's a lack of cash flow in construction. Yeah. So what happens is that 
a party submits a valid payment claim, and when I say valid, it has to meet certain statutory criteria. If it is valid, then that payment claim is payable unless you serve in response what's called a payment schedule. And the payment claim has to identify with particularity the work that's being claimed for and the sum that's being claimed in a claim month. The payment schedule, if it's served, and this is a trick for young players and even old veteran war dogs like Andrew, (laughs) it means if there's no payment schedule served in response, then that payment claim becomes payable and it can be enforced against a natural person in court and that can be by summary judgment potentially or it can be by other summary process and that just means quick. And the consequence is that costs become payable on an indemnity basis. So that means that you, the party that didn't pay a valid payment claim, is then responsible for meeting the full cost of the party that's trying to enforce. So that's unlike other claims where if you defend it, usually what's called scale costs are payable rather than full contractual indemnity. Now, I'm really done, Shane. So just walk me through this. So there's something particular in the construction industry where they can force you to pay, whereas if it was anything else, I'd just say no. And there's a shortened legal process in the construction industry. Is that it? Yeah. So where there's been, as I kept referring to this valid payment claim, where that's been served. What does that mean? So it's sent validly to the other side. So I've just got a, someone would receive an email with the invoice and it has to have that certain attachment, right? Yeah, it has to have some regulations attached, which which set out the consequences of of failing to comply. And so if it's a company that's been served one of these payment claims, then what can happen is that the the claiming party can issue a statutory demand if their debt's over $1,000. And then unless steps are taken to try and set that aside, then there'll be a presumption of insolvency and statutory demands on the strength of a payment claim under that Act are very, very hard to rebut. Mm. So that's because of the primacy of cash flow. The whole regime has been called draconian, but it's draconian because people need to get paid. Yes, yes. So they sent you this email with these legally thingies attached, Andrew, (laughs) that said, you know, pay this stuff or else, and that's why you sent it on to your good friend Shane. Yep. So look, without talking about my situation with LM builders, what would someone do to remedy a situation like this, Shane? Look, I might start with what you could do to avoid the situation. Yes. So the really easy option is that where you're served a payment claim and you don't agree that the amount is payable, you serve a payment schedule in response. And in that schedule, you identify the amounts that you don't think are payable in the payment claim with reasons and you serve that back. The statutory period is 20 working days, but that can be changed by the contract. If you do that, then the amount payable is the amount in the claim less the scheduled amount. So if you claim $10,000 and you serve a payment schedule saying, no, only 5000 is payable, and this 5000 isn't payable for some good reasons, then the only amount you have to pay is the 5000 Now, that can be a negative number. It can be the whole amount of the payment claim or somewhere in between. So if you do that, then you avoid the immediate obligation to pay that's unlike the situation that arises in many other contracts. Then if you haven't done the payment schedule process, then you're left in a situation where you're working through the reason that you're saying you don't need to pay. So you you pay now, and then you have a fight about it. So in a case of the $10,000, you pay the $10,000, and then you raise some disputes with the other side, and then you have a variety of fora in which you can try and resolve that. Under the Construction Contracts Act, you can use a process called adjudication, and that's another kind of truncated form of dispute resolution, initially used to resolve only payment claims, or payment-related matters, but the Act over the past few years has been extended and it's now relatively clear that a claim for damages can be included. 
So that means that you can have an adjudication involving allegations of breach of contract, allegations involving negligence, for example, or defective workmanship. And under the Building Act, there are some statutory warranties that are given. So there's usually a 12-month period in which defective work can be remedied. But that's in addition to your normal rights to sue in negligence under the Fair Trading Act for breach of contract, which you don't lose after 12 months. So the question that you've got to ask yourself is twofold. Why am I not paying? So I need to assert some reasons, which is in loyally talk a cause of action. And secondly, what forum am I going to try and resolve this in? Adjudication in the courts, or if it's under $30,000, the disputes tribunal. And what does an adjudication process cost? So it, it does depend. There are two layers. There's, there's my fees, there's a lawyer's fees, and then there's the adjudicator's fees. Mm. So we've done adjudications involving $15,000 in fees, and we've done adjudications involving $150,000 right. in fees. And then the adjudicator will charge a often significant fee as well. Does that get paid for by the loser of the case? No, so not usually. There is a presumption that you'll bear your own costs yes. unless there's good reasons to the contrary. Right. And the adjudicator's fees is usually split 50-50, but because only one party really wants to prosecute an adjudication, <laughs> they usually end up wearing it. Yes. And then it's dealt with at the end of the adjudication. Ah, interesting. So just walk it through for me, Shane, because I'm really dumb. If you had to dumb it down like talking to a four-year-old, what do you actually do in this situation? You submit your payment schedule. Can you not just pick up the phone and talk it through with them? Yeah, so you can pick up the phone and talk it through, and most sensible people in these situations will do that and will have tried it. And usually you get to deadlock only when you've exhausted those options, which might be the phone, might be a few letters. And then if you can't resolve it in that way, then you're left with deciding if you want to go forward and progress the claim, then deciding how you do it. And a really common method in these situations is adjudication, as I've talked about which I appreciate is quite legalistic, but it's just a quick way of resolving disputes. Mm. And let me ask you this, Shane, is a common outcome here that people just settle and try to come to some arrangement? I can imagine in a, a situation like this, I'd usually try and say, well, I'll give you half of it and we can just walk away as friends. And that way I don't have to create 10 fake Google accounts and create a whole heap of one-star reviews. Yeah, so there, there are really interesting statistics about civil litigation. The vast, vast majority settle, don't, no matter the type of dispute resolution used. Adjudication is probably slightly less likely to settle because it's so quick, and once you commit to it, you've spent a bunch of money up front to prepare Mm. your claim. But I would say that still, in more cases than not, these kind of things do settle, but that's because the cost of legal fees and the cost of adjudicators' fees outweigh the benefits. Yeah. And it's always good to hear from a lawyer that settling it outside of court is better than settling it in court, given their inherent bias to collect fees. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is as well, if we're talking about kind of $15,000 of costs in this case, now I realise we're not going to go in and talk more about this specific situation, but, you know, bearing the cost of all adjudication and legal fees for a dispute over $15,000 is probably not the route you'd go down, is it? Just unless you want to prove a point, Ed. (laughs) Not that I know anyone like that, though. Another method of resolving disputes that you can use, which is more similar to a traditional curial court process, is the disputes tribunal. So it's a really informal jurisdiction where people like myself are derided and not permitted to appear. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful is it, place. Is it like, <laughs> it's is heaven. It like it's Judge like heaven. Judy? No, it's, it's like heaven, Ed. <laughs> they don't let lawyers in. Uh, not quite like Judge Judy. I don't think the referees are paid 30 to 50 million. <laughs> but it's where you submit documents and it's a really informal process and you go along. You're really encouraged to settle because I suspect that 
that's what the referees want to encourage. And then if they can't, they'll issue a determination determining who will pay and if anyone. There's a filing fee associated with that. But beyond that, you don't have to pay anything else. It's just your time. Yes. And then it, it takes a while to get there, but then ultimately you're not paying a lawyer's yes. bills. And the whole purpose of that jurisdiction is to have a cost-effective way of resolving disputes at that $30,000 level. And I actually know, I think when William just gave some advice to some of our clients and helped them working through the disputes tribunal on a dispute that they had with a developer. Yeah, we regularly assist in the preparation of documents, but that's about it. Yep. Because we know we can't appear, that's as far as we'll go. Yes. And then that just helps facilitate anyone really getting to the, the tribunal because it's still quite daunting yep. trying to confront what you have to do to, yes. to get a determination or a judgment out of a court. Well, the disputes tribunal sounds like a great option in, in these situations because what's the worst that could happen? You've got to pay the money, you've got to pay anyway. <laughs> but you've yep. got to pay it up front. And then you've got to force someone to take... Yeah, but not in this situation. If they've got to take you to the disputes tribunal for you to actually pay, oh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, so in, in this situation with the payment claims, you've got to pay up front. That's the key thing, Ed. But what happens if somebody doesn't pay a payment claim? They can take you to court, but they can do it in a summary way. So it's a much quicker, more effective measure. Oh, I see. So if yeah, you don't pay a see, payment see, claim, you could get summary judgment or you could service that demand because it's a debt due and owing. Then, whereas yeah, if you okay. were to recover for the defects, that's a full court process. Yeah. I would add that the payment schedule process is quite unknown. So for most people, you know, 95% of people in the construction industry going through a house renovation, they would get an invoice, they would pay it, yeah. and they would think that they retain the ability to raise a dispute in the event they didn't. And you still can raise that dispute, but the only problem is you have to pay before you can raise it. Yes, which was the learnings for me in this instance, because I'm not used to paying for something that I'm dissatisfied for. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you're looking to grow your portfolio in 2022, then you might like to come in for a complimentary portfolio planning session. If you're interested in that, text the word PLAN to 5522, and we'll give you a buzz see if it's the right fit for you. Listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.